If you've got a Bible, open with me to the book of John chapter 15. We spent the last several weeks talking about extra. Extra, extra. If you're going to talk about extra, you might as well say it twice. Extra, extra. And I believe we got to a place where it was good to unhook from that, but I don't want you to unhook in your believing for it. We've got just a few days left before we come to Christmas and then New Year's, and there is still plenty of time for our good God to do good things in your life. And Sarah and I love you guys so much, and we're in agreement with you that this is going to be the best Christmas you and your family have ever had, ever experienced. You're going to be blessed, and, and you are going to be a big blessing to a lot of people. I'm asking you to get that in your heart, maybe in a way this year you never have before. And get it on the minds of your kids. Talk to your children about it. Say, who can we be a blessing to? And let the Lord talk to them. You may be amazed. You may be surprised. But the Lord will talk to them in very specific ways. I know that happened in our house when I was a kid growing up. Uh, my parents were, we had a van. We had a minivan. And they were getting ready to sell it, I think. And I remember going to dad and he tells the story too. I said something to him about giving it, giving it to the little Christian school that I went to. It was also a little Baptist church. I said, I think we should give that van to the school. <laughs> and he's like, I think you're right. <laughs> I'm telling you, the Lord can speak to our children and through our children. So look for opportunities to be a big blessing this year. I want to get back to something we began several months ago, talking about no greater love. And I don't feel like we were done with that. And honestly, I don't feel like you can ever be done with that. But I sense in my heart, we need to finish up this year talking about this. And this comes to us from the book of John chapter 15. Go ahead and put up verse 13 in the New Living Translation. These are the words of Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, there is, say these words with me, no greater love. He didn't say there is no other love. He just said there is no greater love. And there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Could that be possible? That that is the greatest of all loves? Something that you could do for your friends? And we talked about this several weeks ago, almost a couple of months ago now. I think we need to work on our understanding of what friendship actually is. It has been so dumbed down and so... Uh, diminished, but I don't think we really have a good understanding of what true biblical friendship is all about because we use terms like just friends. You ever use that to talk about somebody before? Maybe more like high school days. Oh, you like her. No, 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 no. We're just friends. But we use these terms to say it's some lesser form of relationship. And yet Jesus said there is no greater love than what you would do in the laying down of your life for who? Your friend. Now, I want to put this back in context and back up a few verses here. Just look at verse 9 and we'll read several verses and I'm going to read from the New King James. Jesus is speaking and he said, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now remember, he's talking to guys, his disciples, who are very, very upset, very panicked. Why? Because Jesus has just told them he's leaving. You put all this together with John 13, 14, 15, even into 16 and 17, and you can see these guys are having a hard time with this new information. What do you mean you're leaving? Where, what's going? You're leaving? You're leaving? And he starts talking to them and endeavoring to help them. He said to them in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid, but you can tell their heart is troubled. You can tell they are afraid again, because he's leafing and he starts talking to them about peace. He said, my peace, I'm going to leave with you. He's introducing to them the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but you can tell they're having a hard time wrapping their head around it because he is the greatest peace they've ever known. How can I still have peace if you're leaving? And he said, no, you don't understand. I'm leaving peace with you, my peace. And it just didn't stick with them. Then he started talking to them about his love. He being the greatest love they had ever known or experienced in their lives. And you can tell they think if he leaves, love's leaving. 
If he's leaving, peace is leaving. How can I have love if love is leaving? And Jesus is saying to him, no, I've loved you the way my father loved you. And he says these words, abide, just means stay. You could say it like this. He's saying, I'm leaving love with you. This love is staying, but you're going to have to stay in it. He said, abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Again, these guys are anything but full of joy right now. Jesus is leaving. There goes peace. There goes love. There goes all my joy. And he's saying, no, no, I'm leaving it with you. I'm saying these things to you so that my joy stays in you and so that your joy is full and overflowing. But you can tell they're not getting it. He's trying to teach them how to stay in this peace, stay in this love, stay in this joy. And that's when he said in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is what we've been talking about or what we began talking about some weeks ago. Loving one another as he has loved us. Now we began this whole series by saying this, though we are not talking about faith as a topic, as a subject, Yet what we are talking about is what will activate our faith and cause our faith to work, cause our faith to produce. Faith works, how? By love. And though we're not talking about healing as a topic or as a message, yet what we are talking about in the love of God is what opens the door to the miraculous healing of the body, the physical body. We know this. And you could go right on down the line. We're not talking about financial increase as a subject. And yet, as we talk about the love of God, we're talking about what opens the door to blessing upon blessing upon blessing in every area of life, spirit, soul, and body. What is the one thing you could talk about that would activate faith, bring healing, cause blessing, cause you to see and know your destiny? Huh? What is the one thing that you could talk about that would activate all these things? It's the love of God. But one thing we haven't majored on in a way I think we need to is what Jesus said right here. He said, this is my commandment. Loving each other the way that he has loved us is his commandment. And it's something we need to hear as a commandment. We as the body of Christ, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are under strict orders. Do you hear me? To love each other. We have been commanded. And yes, I know Jesus is our brother. Yes, I know that God is our father and there is family dynamic and there is family relationship. But we also have to know and understand there is this whole other side of our relationship with God where he is our God and Jesus is our Lord. He is the commander and the general of the church. And when he gives commands, they are to be adhered to. They are to be followed. And this is the command, the order. What is it? love each other. That's his commandment. We're under orders, church, to love each other. Now, I love what he says here. We read it. He said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, like, look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I have always thought that was kind of a funny prerequisite for friendship with Jesus. I mean, what if I said that to you? Hey, we could be friends if you'll do anything I tell you to do. You and I can be good friends if you'll do what I command you to do. That doesn't sound like the foundation for a great friendship. If anything, it sounds kind of one-sided, right? But you got to remember this. What is it he commanded? What is it he commanded? to love. This is a big revelation. Your friendship with Jesus is dependent on you loving your brother. Is that not what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey, 
We can be friends if you'll love each other. That's his commandment. And it's not as one-sided as you might think. All you have to do is back up one chapter and Jesus said this, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I'll do it for you. So it's not just you, just you doing his command. It's him committing to do what you ask of him. This is friendship. See, we've thought so little and so small about friendship, but this is covenant fellowship and friendship. And my friendship with Jesus can be as deep as the depth of my love for my brother. And if that sounds strange to you, think about what the Bible says in 1 John. That if some guy professes to love God and yet he hates his brother, you know what the Bible says? He's a liar. How can you love God who you haven't seen and hate your brother who you have seen? What's God saying? He's saying, hey, we can have, we can have as deep as a relationship as you want. The only limit to the depth of our relationship is how much you are willing to love your brother. Wow. Friendship. I was thinking some about friendship over the last day or so. And I was looking back at the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there. Let me read it to you. This is out of the book of Acts chapter 27. You know, Paul had been taken prisoner. And um, in Acts 27, it says this in verse 1. When it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramantium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. Now, this is what I want you to see. It says, Julius treated Paul kindly. Paul is this man's prisoner. Paul is in chains under this man. But he treated him kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and do what? Receive care. To go to his friends and receive care. The New Living says Julius was very kind to Paul, let him go ashore and visit it with his friends so they could provide for his needs. The Amplified Bible says, permitting him to go to his friends there and be refreshed and cared for. Refreshed, cared for, needs provided. This should be the effect that our friendship has on each other. (laughs) What happens to people after they leave you? Do their lives look like they've just been cared for? Do their lives look like they've just been refreshed? Do they come walking out of your presence, walking out of your house, refreshed? Or is it something opposite of that? Here's Paul in chains. And we know Paul, he's full of the Spirit and somehow, you know, by the Spirit of God, managed to keep his joy up and managed to to stay in good spirits. But everybody needs friends. I'll be more specific. Everybody needs church friends. Look around you right now. Them's your church friends. These are your church friends. And I know you got friends at work and you got friends at the gym and you got friends at different places in your life, but these are the friends. These are the places you should be able to go and be refreshed, be cared for. Man, I want people leaving my presence refreshed, not worn out. Not going, man, that was hard. (laughs) Not going, I couldn't wait to get out of there. No, I want them refreshed. If I'm a good friend, then people will come into my presence one way and leave refreshed, leave cared for, leave provided for. That's how you know you're being a good friend. Part of this is just being easy to be around. You need some people in your life that are easy. You need some people in your life that are low to no maintenance. Can I get an amen from anybody? Well, guess what? If you want to, I'll say it like this. If you want to harvest some of those friends, guess what you're going to have to be? You're going to have to be an easy friend. You're going to have to be easy to be around. Being easy to be around means being consistent. 
being constant. People don't have to guess what kind of mood you might be in today. People don't have to, you know, roll the dice before coming to your house. Maybe they'll be up, maybe they'll be down. Folks, that wears people out. And it causes them to not want to be around you. But if you want friends that are easy to be around, be a friend that's easy to be around. If you want friends that are low maintenance, be a friend that's low maintenance. Man, I got friends all over the country. And I got a buddy that pastors out on the East Coast. You know, he and I talk quite a bit, but sometimes there'll be some time that goes by that doesn't talk. Or maybe he texts me and I don't get back to him to the next day. Or I'll call him and say, hey man, I'm sorry I didn't get back. He's like, hey, 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 we ain't dating. <laughs> we ain't dating. It's all right. You don't owe me. That's easy. That's easy to be around. You need some folks that doesn't matter how much time has gone by. You can pick up right where you left off and, and they're not thinking, you know, evil thoughts about you because you haven't called in the last 24 to 48 hours. And oh, I didn't like the tone of that text or I didn't, you know, these kind of things, man, Paul, I can only imagine what was going on in his heart, his soul, his mind. He's in prison. And I imagine he's wrestling with some stuff. But this prison, this, this prison guard, this one who's holding him captive, let him go see his friends. And you know what he got when he went to see him? He didn't get a message preached at him. We told you. Told you not to go put yourself in chains. Told you not to do this. Told you not to do that. No, what'd they do? They just refreshed him. They just cared for him. They just provided for his needs. And I don't know if he left, he left Julius, his, his prison guard with his head down, but I do know he came back with his head up. How'd that happen? Was it angels in the night that stood at his bed in the midnight hour? No, friends did that. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Friendship. And that's what Jesus is talking about. No greater love has anyone than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends. If you do what I command you, if you love one another, we're friends. And he said this in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. These disciples who have spent every day of the last several years of their lives with Jesus in this moment right here just got elevated in their relationship with him. He moved them from servant status to friend status. See, the friend zone isn't such a bad place to be after all. <laughs> Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean these guys quit serving and it doesn't mean you and I quit serving. This whole thing is about serving each other. We'll look at that in just a moment. But what he's saying here is that I'm calling you friends. A servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but he said, I'm calling you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. With friends, there's an openness. With friends, there's an honesty. With friends, there's a transparency. With friends, there, there's no deceit. There's no guile. There's no lying with friends. Truth. And he said in verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed that you, you, that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, I order you to love one another. Now, if I can get to it today, the title of this message is friendly competition. Friendly competition. John chapter 13, go back there and look with me. We've been looking at this, but let's review just a little bit. John chapter 13, Jesus said this in verse 34, a, a new commandment I give to you. This is an order that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also may love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I'm so glad you're in church this morning, but that's not what defines you as a believer. I'm thankful you're here. I'm so glad you're here to hear the word and that's great, 
But that's not what makes you his disciple. That is not the distinguishing characteristic of a disciple of Jesus Christ. What defines us and makes us who we are is the way we love each other. The way we love each other. And with that said, let me just be honest with you about something. You want to know what the the marketing plan of Legacy Church is? This new church up here in the mountains? How are you going to get the word out? What's the marketing plan? You want to know what it is? You. You're the plan. The way you love each other. Man, when people find a place full of friendly people, full of people who genuinely care and genuinely love each other. It's like a magnet. Now, I'm not saying we'll never do anything to get the word out and and tell folks about it. Of course we will. But greater than any of that, greater than buying ads on Google or putting ads on Facebook is you. You being friendly to people. I just... Call me crazy, call me naive. I just have this belief in my heart that this is what will cause this place to grow. Is when it's full of people who actually know how to love each other and are willing to lay down their lives for their friends. Lay down their lives for their friends. I just, I believe that this is what will get the word out. When people see that, because it stands out This world is not full of people who are willing to lay themselves down or lay themselves aside for anybody. So when you live a life that way, it will stand out and people will want to know what makes you different. And a big part of that will be the word that you hear and the spirit that you partake of and the atmosphere of faith and love that you step into on a regular basis, week in, week out. Did you hear me? Week in, week out, over and over, faithful to come, faithful to come back, faithful to serve. That's going to make us different. And Paul even wrote to people and he said, he said, what do we need? We need letters. We need letters of recommendation. We need letters of commendation. No, he said, you are the letter. You are the letter. You are a living epistle, not written with ink and paper, not carved into stone, but written on the tablet of your heart. Your life, he said, is our letter of recommendation. Man, those are big words. He was talking to them about other other people needing some credentials for Paul and his ministry team. He says, I don't need anybody to write me any letter of recommendation. You are my letter. Your life and the way you live life is proof, evidence, testimony of the word you're hearing and the God you're serving. You're the letter. Church, you are the marketing department of Legacy Church. I can tell you're excited about it. You will be. You will be. But notice this again. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, we talked a lot about this. We have limited our thinking to understanding that the love that Jesus was talking about, this no greater love, surely had to do with him going to the cross. And that's the greatest of all loves. And absolutely, love has never been demonstrated in a greater way than that. The only problem with that is that Jesus is telling them, love each other the way I have loved you. At that point, while he was saying it, the cross was still in the future. He's saying, I've loved you in a way that I want you to go and love each other now. So what is it? And it can't just be the cross because I can't go to the cross for you. You can't go to the cross for me. So there's got to be something else to laying down our lives for our friends, something other than just dying on a cross. And we know it can't just be that. There wouldn't be any of us left. So there's got to be more to it. Well, we're in John 13. What he had just done for them in 13 is what he's talking about. This was the last supper that he had with his disciples before going to the cross. And they had that Passover meal together. And you know this, but, but in verse four, well, verse three, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, listen to this, and laid aside. Somebody say laid aside. He laid aside his garments 
and took a towel and girded himself. Of everything that happened at this supper, this to me is the most significant. What he did in that simple act of laying aside his garment and putting a towel around him. Those words laid aside are the, is the exact same Greek word translated lay down. When Jesus said no greater love has this than a man would lay down his life for his friends, it's the same word, lay aside. So much of the time we think of laying down our life as dying. But it's, it's not just dying for somebody or for something. It's simply, it can, it can just be something as simple as laying aside your life, putting you to the side. And this is what Jesus did. When he took off that garment, he laid that aside and he put something else on. He put on that towel, the garment of a servant. And that's why Philippians tells us that he laid aside his mighty weight and power and he took on the form of a servant. Everything we've talked about in this series, No Greater Love, all has to do with the way we serve each other. There is no greater love than serving. Can that be right? Can that be possible? Am I reading scripture? There's no greater love than serving a friend, laying yourself aside, just putting your want, your desire, putting all that over here to the side and doing something for them. There is, and this is Jesus' words, not mine, no greater love than that. None. And this is what he did here in John 13. I want you to go to Romans 12. While you're looking for that, let me put something on the screen for you guys. Put up 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, yeah, verse 16. He said this, by this we know love. In other words, this is how we know love. Because he laid down his life. Guess what? Same words. That Greek word, tithemi. You remember we talked about this word, T-I-T-H-E-M-I, tithemi. And when I look at that word, I see the word tithe in it. And even though the words aren't connected linguistically, tithe as it pertains to the giving of the tithe is just basically an accounting term that means 10%. And yet the concept of it is here. It is the putting aside of this first and best portion And this is what Jesus did. And John said, this is how we know love. This is proof of love that he laid down, that he laid aside his life for us. And we also ought to lay down. We also ought to do what? Lay aside our lives for the brethren. Because he did this for us, we are commanded to do this for each other. This is the command. And this goes to show what an excellent leader Jesus is. That he didn't command you and I to do something that number one, he wasn't willing to do himself. And number two, that he didn't demonstrate and show us how to do. This is good leadership. And whatever area you lead, whether it be some, something professional or leading in the home, leading a family, leading your children, you need to remember this. Whatever you command them to do, there needs to be an example of how to do it. There needs to be a demonstration of what you're talking about. And there must be a willingness on your part to do the same thing. If not, if you command somebody to do something you wouldn't do, you know what that makes you? A hypocrite. A hypocrite. And that word, when you look it up in the scripture, is pretty fascinating. It was their word for an actor, an actor. They referred to their actors in that time as hypocrites. And the the word literally means somebody portraying a role of something they are not. So to command somebody to do something that you're not willing to do, to command somebody to do something that you haven't done, you are playing a role. You're an actor, a hypocrite, but not Jesus. He commanded us to do it and said, do it the way I did it. Lay aside. 
Lay aside pride, lay aside place, lay aside position, lay aside power, and put on the form of a servant because there's no greater love than this. And if he did that, think about it like this. It's not so much that if he did it, we should. It's because he did it, we can. Oh, church, listen to me. Are you hearing that? That's grace in a package right there. It's not just if he did it, you should. It's because he did it, you can. Because he did it, you've got the power. Because he did it, you've got the enabling to do it. It's in you right now. It's not just, oh, well, if Jesus did it, I probably should. No, no. Because Jesus did it, you can do it. Look at Romans 12. I'm getting excited. I sent you to Romans 12 and I didn't go there myself. Oh, hypocrite. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Romans chapter 12. Just start in verse one. We're going to read a few verses here. But Paul is writing and he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. What kind of sacrifice? Living. So again, this isn't about me and you going to the cross. This isn't about me and you trying to physically die for each other. Our sacrifice is a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. Renovate, remodel the way you think that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he says in verse three, this is the first place he wants you to change the way you think. For I say through the grace given to me that everyone who's among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He told you that your life can and will be transformed if you'll change the way you think. And the first place he went in your thoughts for you to change was to begin thinking not more highly of yourself than you ought, but soberly. That just can mean realistically. And that's what humility is. It's reality. It's not an attempt to be humble. It's just being real. It's just being honest. And if you'll be honest, you will be humble. If you will acknowledge that any and every good thing you might have is a gift from God and is not due to you and your smarts and your experience and your expertise, but if you'll give him the glory for it, you're just being honest. You're just being real. That's humility. And this is the first place he said, go to work in your thinking. Now I want to skip down to verse nine. It says this, verse nine, you ready? Let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be without hypocrisy. How much hypocrisy should there be in our love? None. And yet, if we're not watchful, there's a lot of it in there. He'll make this make more sense here. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. What scripture is it that says, let us not love in word, but in deed? If your love for your brother only goes as far as your words, then it's a hypocritical love. Love is not expressed to its fullest in just words. Think about that. If it could be, then that's what God would have done. 
John 3.16 would say, For God so loved the world that he yelled from heaven real loud, I love y'all! Like a lot. So much. If that was the greatest expression of love, if love could be fully expressed in just words, then that's what God would have done. Now, words is a good way, are a good way to express love. But how many of you know, at some point, help me out, ladies, there better be something to back up them words. I will never forget the first night I told Sarah Christine Hart that I loved her. Man, we said the L word to each other and it was like gooseys all over and warm, fuzzy feelings. And it was, well, I was high. I mean, it was quite an experience. But you know what? That was 14, almost 15 years ago. What if all I had done for the last 15 years is said, I love you. Now, as wonderful as it was, I'm sure, I'm hoping, it, to hear all those years ago, he loves me. At some point, she's going to go, yeah, I heard you 15 years ago. Where's the action <laughs> to back it up? Baby, I told you I loved you. Come on, what else do you want from me? There's more to love, isn't there? There's more to love than just saying it. And you know that's true in a marriage. You know that my love for her, and it didn't take me very long to go out, but my love for her led me out and put everything I had on a diamond. And baby, I gladly spent everything I had to get that for her. I was so excited to give it. How could you be that crazy? Love made me do it. Love made me do it. Love made me get down on one knee in the basement of her parents' home in Branson, Missouri. Love made me say, will you please marry me? Love put me at an altar at a chap- in a chapel in the Ozark Mountains on September 1st, 2007. And love made me say, I do. Love, love made me do it. I know you said the devil made me do it, but what about love? Can, lo- can, can love make you do some stuff? Love will make you do some stuff if it's real, if there's no hypocrisy in it. And we know that's true in our marriages, in our families, but what about in the way we love each other? Your love for your church friends is supposed to go way beyond love you, bless you, bye. Oh, love you, brother. Love you. And here's what's happening so much of the time. Love you. Have a wonderful week. I can't tell you what an idiot that guy has been. Did you see what she had on? Hypocrite. One thing coming out of the mouth, something else going on in the heart. Let your love be without hypocrisy. So how do we suck all the hypocrisy out of the love? How do we get rid of all hypocrisy in this room? Hmm? Because as the under shepherd of this place, I'm just going to go ahead and declare it. This is a hypocrisy free zone. No facetiousness, no pretense, no put on. How do we get rid of it? We just tell each other all the time how much we love each other. No, we got to back it up. And this is how he said to back it up. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. That's how we do it. We prefer each other. Now this word preference or to prefer, it's an interesting word. It means something you might not think of right away. It actually means to lead the way. To prefer is to lead the way for others. But it means to lead the way in deferring. So to prefer is to defer. If I have an option between two, I don't know, two meals, two things I'm going to eat, which of these do I 
prefer? Which of these do I want? Which of these do I pick? And they've got steak over here and they've got chicken over here. And I've got to pick. Do I want steak? Do I want chicken? Well, if I prefer steak, then I pick steak. And what happens to chicken? Chicken goes away. Chicken is put aside. You notice that every time you make a choice, there's not just the thing you chose, but then there's that thing you didn't choose. And the thing you didn't choose, what happens to it? It's put aside. I put a choice in front of you. Can I get you something to drink? Would you like a coffee? Would you like a tea? What would you like? Well, depending on you and what you like, you're going to pick one. You're going to say, I prefer this one. Well, what's going to happen to the other one? It gets put aside. Now, our command here is to love each other and not just in what we say, but in how we prefer one another. Listen to a few translations of this. The NIV says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. The New Living says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I like this translation. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo yourselves in honoring one another. Friendly competition. What, what competition should you and I be engaged in all the time when we come to church? Not just at church, not just in this house, but in your house as believers. Do I have anybody in here that, that kind of has a competitive thing? Would you, anybody be honest and say it gets really intense when you play cards with the family or board games get out of hand because you just got to win? Is there anybody? I see a few hands. Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you hypocrite. No, I'm just kidding. No, some of us have that, that competitive thing, that, that competitive edge. Well, what competition should we be fully engaged in all the time? We should be trying to outdo each other in preferring one another all the time. Now, what happens when you make a choice, a preference choice? You pick one thing and something else gets laid aside. Whether it's steak, chicken, coffee, tea, you, me. If I prefer you, what happens to me? It's laid aside. If I prefer what you want, if I prefer you or defer to you, what happens to what I want? It gets put to the side. And this is the action of our love, the way we prefer one another. And we should be trying to outdo each other all the time. No, no, no. I insist. No, no, no. You first. No, no, no. You pick. Where would you like to go? No, no. Where would you like? No, no. Where would you like to go? No, I want to go. I want to do what you want to do. Now, this can last for hours depending on how competitive you are. But could, could our love and the expression of our love be something so simple? as just preferring one another? It is, and yet it's way more spiritual than you realize. Because this requires the renewing of the mind. Much, most of the rest of the world is not living in preference to the people around them. As a matter of fact, they're being told, get yours. Do what it takes to get what you want. Do what it takes to get to the top. And if you got to climb over some folks and if you got to step on some folks, you know, the ends justify the means. You got to get yours. You got to get what you want. You got to go for it. You got to make it yours. You want something? You got to go with all your might. You got to go get that. Nobody's being taught to prefer. Nobody's being taught that the greatest expression of love is just to defer, to put yourself aside and defer to somebody else. Now, how does this tie in to serving? Well, it is serving. It's what's happening all over this property this morning. There were people that put themselves aside and got out of bed a little early. 
They put their desire for an extra 30 minutes or an hour of sleep aside so that you could rest. There are people across this building right now who are not in this room. They've put their desire to be in here aside to minister to our children, to value you. They love you. That's what friends do for each other. They put themselves aside in deference and preference to somebody else. Musicians, would you guys begin to come? It helps me shut up when they're standing back here. (laughs) Preferring one another. This is a friendly competition. And this morning I'm declaring game on. And I, I release you and liberate you to get into competition with everybody in this room. Everybody in your house to see who can outdo one another in honoring each other. Outdo one another in loving and serving each other. And I think what we may touch on next week, I'll just give you a little taste of it right now. This is how you end all strife. Strife cannot exist in an environment when people are trying to outdo each other in preferring one another. The source of every problem in any marriage is flesh. That's the source of every problem. You wanting your way to the point that you're willing to fight for it, unwilling to put yourself aside. That is the source of every marriage issue. Everyone. Strife cannot exist in a marriage, in a home, in a church, in any relationship where the people in it are trying to outdo each other in deferring and preferring one another. The Bible says this in the book of Philippians. I'll read this last scripture to you and we'll be done. This is the verse we've been looking at throughout this entire series. Look at it again. Philippians 2 verse 1. Put it on the screen for us. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This is the love. And he said, let every one of you have the same mind. Do you realize what a miracle that would be? To get two people to have the same mind. Just two. Anytime you've got two or more people together, that's how many opinions you've got. That's how many preferences you've got. That's how many different desires you've got. But Paul is writing to them and he said, listen, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. And I don't know how many we've gotten here this morning, a couple hundred, two, three hundred people. But listen, what a miracle it would be if everybody who came into this church and sat in this church and praised and worshiped in this church, we all had the same mind. Now, that doesn't mean we all think exactly the same thing about every little thing. It doesn't mean we all have the exact same food taste and clothing preferences and entertainment preferences. But listen, what he's saying is have the same mind of love. The same thing be on everybody's mind, seeing how much they can love each other, seeing how much they can prefer to somebody else. I fully anticipate a traffic jam at the door on the way out this morning. No, after you, after you, I insist you first. No, 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 no. You first, you first. That's fine. We'll deal with it. We'll figure it out. But game on folks. And here's the thing. I'm going to outdo everyone. I'm challenging you right now. I'm challenging. I'm, I'm throwing down the gauntlet right now. It is game on. There's some friendly competition up in this church starting today of how much we can outdo each other in our service to each other, in our love for each other, in our preference to, to each other, which would include how we refresh each other as friends, how we revive one another, how we take care of one another and meet one another's needs. And there are things that the church is going to do to be a blessing to the body and and help families who might need this or might need that or might not have enough. And as a church, we will do those things. But hey, hey, listen, you don't got to wait on anybody. 
you see a need, you see your brother in need and you got something that can help meet the need or at least get them a little further down the road, go for it. I said, go for it. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what John said in 1 John 3 when he said, by this, we know love that he laid aside his life. If Jesus had not laid aside his life, we would not know love. The only way Sarah knows that I love her is not just in me saying, love you, babe. It's in Jeremy laying himself aside. She knows love because I'm willing to lay myself aside. I know love because she's been willing to lay herself aside for me. And you want to know what the very next verse says? Whoever sees his brother in need and has what he needs to meet that need, that's love. Put that on the screen for us. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love because he laid down, he laid aside his life for us. We also ought to lay down, lay aside our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Well, I told him I loved him. There's more to it. We're not going to be hypocrites, are we? We're not going to be love actors on the stage, this theatrical production of love. No, there's got to be more to it than that. And it's not just love you, bless you, bye. It's not love you, brother, and then turn around and stab somebody in the back. No, 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 no. This is a hypocrisy-free zone. We love each other, and the action to back it up is in the way we prefer one another. Meet one another's needs. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.